Hello, and welcome to another episode of Novel Not New, a True End podcast, a podcast where we pick a visual novel every month, um, and we play through it like a book club and report our findings back. I'm uh, Jennifer Uncle, and joining me as always, uh, Six Detmar. I'm your door-to-door podcaster. <laughs> and M. Was I here years ago? Who can say? <laughs> Bradley, were you here? What did you know? <laughs> so yeah, we're, this month we're covering Hotel Dusk, Room 215, which was co-developed by Sing uh, and Nintendo. Came out in January of 2007. And um, yeah, it's Sing's no longer with us, but when they were still active, they made a lot of adventure games slash visual novel style stories that... uh. Took a lot of advantage of the DS's format, really. And um, this is probably their most well-remembered game out of all of them. To the point where the main protagonist, Kyle Hyde, has a trophy in Super Smash Brothers, <laughs> And the only trophy that actually animates somewhat, because they need to get the whole... Wait, he has a trophy? <laughs> yeah, in a Brawl. His, and his trophy actually moves with the little line, line squiggles, which no other trophy does. Huh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, the general gist of this game is you're playing this person named Kyle Hyde, who used to be a detective for... Was it New York or L.A.? New York, right? He is in New York, yes. Yeah. And his partner essentially betrayed the Force, so he goes out and shoots his best friend and partner, Brian Bradley, on the docks. And everyone presumes that he's dead, except for Kyle. And years later, he's quit the force. He's working for this door-to-door salesman company called Red Crown, who also does a little lost and found service sometimes. And uh, he gets called out to this hotel called Hotel Dusk, and things start escalating from there as he starts to pick up the trail of his old partner, Brian Bradley. And they just call him Bradley. And uh, he starts to feel like his suspicions were confirmed and he's still alive somewhere. Along with a lot of other mysteries that end up popping up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this is a hotel full of of mysteries and (laughs) uh, everybody's got a secret and we're going to find them all by the end of this night. Uh, Yeah. I don't think we find them all, do we? I feel like no, there's no, still quite a few secrets out in the wind. I was just trying to do one of those like end of chapter recaps. Except for I didn't <laughs> mention Bradley. He mentions Bradley every time, so I did a really bad job, honestly. <laughs> oh, that night years ago when Bradley was on the docks. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. really some fine funnel cake I just enjoyed. Are you enjoying funnel <laughs> cake right now, Bradley? I'll know when I find you. <laughs> So the way that this game looks is pretty interesting. Like the environments themselves look like a early PS1 era 3D graphics. It's pretty rundown hotel. So you move around within this 3D space using either the stylus or the. Well, I guess it's it's the directional pad if you're playing right-handed, and then it's the face buttons if you're playing left-handed. And uh, all of the characters themselves are two-dimensional, drawn sort of like police sketches almost. And um, 
they're const they're lines that make the lines that they're drawn with are constantly wavering and moving in a way that makes them that makes everything look pretty lively. And the animation almost looks rotoscoped, but not quite. It's hyper detailed and looks incredibly nice. Uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, I think this game is actually rotoscoped. Really. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure that's the case. Nice. Uh, it, yeah. No, you're right. Huh. Uh, which gives it a very specific look. Yeah. Must yeah. have been fun to film. Wonder if they did anything like. So, that also ties into. What this game reminded me of most, which is not necessarily any other visual novels, but this game in from the nineties called The Last Express, made by Jordan Mechner, who also did Prince of Persia. And basically you're in a somewhat similar situation where you're thrust into this enclosed space with a bunch of people that you don't know that well, but all seem to be connected somewhat. And the thing that really reminded me of that is there are various points throughout the story where you're endangered in some way, either by having something you're not supposed to have at that moment or someone messing with you. And you constantly have to be on your toes. Like, at some point, you go to your bathroom and someone's hid $20,000 in your toilet. So, obviously, you can't be seen <laughs> walking around with that. So, you have to think and s stuff it in your suitcase and... There's various things that happen that are like that, like, you have to keep it on the download that you're a cop, because Dunning, for reasons that become very clear, hates cops, and it's best not to let anyone know that you have a history on the force. Yeah, I remember when I first played this game, uh, like, the year it came out, and, like, the fact that Dunning hated cops felt like a clue, and now I'm playing it in 2018, and I'm like, well, yeah... <laughs> of course you hate cops. <laughs> yeah. In general, having a no-cop zone seems pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, uh, most of the way that you progress within this is you latch on to a character per chapter, more or less, after the introductory chapters, and you, you, po you pry into their lives, get question them, press them when they say something interesting so you can follow up on it and slowly unravel what their background is. And as you're doing that, they all start to be like, oh, this person, this person's related to, this person's searching for this other person that the, this old lady is related to. And it kind of keeps unfurling like that, like a series of lines that start to connect. A series of dots that start to connect. Yeah, it's. I think we've all played this at some point, right? Like, all of us have had history with this game before. Yeah, I picked it up when it was new uh, and played through it then. And mm -hmm. tried to play through it a, maybe like four years back and did not get very far. Yeah, I played through it Yeah, back, back when it came out. Um, and then I also did a second playthrough that I didn't get super far in. Um, and then I played the, uh, the sequel, um, I don't know, like five or six years ago. Yeah. I also played this when I was younger, and because of the way that everyone was talking about it at the time, I kind of assumed that it was incredibly well-known, but I'm told that it's sl slightly more obscure now, which makes sense because the developer's been out of business for quite some time. Uh, even at the time, I feel like 
unless you're really on the like DS tip of picking up all the cool games for it, uh, 2007 was still a time where the DS was not seen as like the best console, which it truly is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was definitely one of those like DS cool kids club games where it's like there is a community of people who are like, man, this game is incredible, and then the larger world who has no idea that it exists. Yeah, I suppose so. And it does certain things that you cannot really do on any other console. Like, uh, there are moments where to solve a puzzle, you have to close the DS and put it into sleep mode and open it up again to either look at the back of a puzzle or give someone mouth to mouth. And uh, there's also something where if you don't have the right tool for it, if you don't, if you didn't, if you didn't bring a black light to the finale, you have to tilt the DS in a way that makes whatever's on the paper visible through the screen. It's kind of interesting to see. I really like games that utilize the system that they're built on to the best of their abilities. Like, there's something kind of fun about holding this DS sideways like a book and seeing... Kyle on the left-hand side, whoever they're interrogating on the right, and watch them interplay between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know if you played uh, Trace Memory, which is the game they made before this. It was a really early DS game, but it had a bunch of this as well. Yeah, it Trace Memory... That game is, is like way more artificial than this game yes. um, in a lot of ways. But it is really interesting to see, like, the lessons they learned. Like, one of the things that this game does is at the end of every chapter, Kyle's like, okay, let me just, like, think back on what I learned this chapter just to try and help the pl- make sure the player has everything straight in their head. And that's, that's like, pulled directly from Trace Memory. They did that a lot in Trace Memory, so. Yeah. Some chapters are more necessary than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also sometimes questions more necessary than others, which is just, like, like, wait... Uh, what kind of wine was, you know, summer drinking again? Like, who cares? Yep. What who order cares? did the people come into the bar? <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> all right, cool. So. Yeah, and it, those questions definitely stand out sometimes because you're treating a cold case like it's active sometimes because this is all, all the events that took place in the story happened in some cases, ten years ago, but most of them seven or five years ago. But uh, for the most part, you're tracking people that either aren't there or are here in different circumstances than they used to be. So you're poking people's memories and um, rifling through their things and doing your best not to impose so much, even though you're very clearly imposing... <laughs> And, and sometimes it's either you're, the way that it's handled chapter per chapter. It's almost like you're. It's almost like an episode of okay, here's this person's problems, and I'm gonna be their. I'm gonna be their sage for a moment, almost like Louis acts as the bartender because he mentions, oh yeah, I listen to people's problems and I help them, and that's most of this game. That's being like, hey, you should you should be nicer to your dad and. Uh, Things like that. Or you should come clean about this novel that you plagiarized, probably. The thing about Kyle Hyde is he's such a... I I really love the execution of the character as an ex-cop because he feels like such an ex-cop in his attitude. So at one point, 
you're talking to Summer, and Summer is convinced that you have this secret agenda. Um, and you do. He's just wrong about what it is. Um, and he's laying out his, his case as to why, like, you're not really what you say you are. And he says this line, quote, You are also employed as a salesman, but lack even the most basic people skills. Uh, which is like, yeah, Kyle's this guy who, like, goes around and, like, complains constantly about getting wrapped up in other people's business and will never stop involving himself in other <laughs> people's business. Uh, I like the character. I don't think I would like him in person. But he's an enjoyable character, partially because the game just knows that he's kind of just like, like, not necessarily ill-intentioned, but an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's allowed to be assertive because of who he is. It's like uh, everyone here has played Phoenix, right? Right? Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like if Phoenix and Dick Gumshoe were one person, basically. <laughs> Because you get all the forthrightness of Dick Gumshoe without him being, like, a total buffoon, but all the, like, earnest, I'm just here to, like, nudge people in the right direction that Phoenix represents. And it's really good to have a protagonist in where everyone else is just constantly stonewalling you to just uh, let him be that character. Mm -hmm. And he definitely yeah. opens up as, as the night goes on. It seems like you get the impression he comes into uh, Hotel Dusk, like... Just, I mean, just generally in a bad mood, right? Like, his life is not in a good place, and he's just, like, grouchy and therefore more crummy to people. And as the night goes on, he becomes more and more, like, he's still, like, the your your, your gruff, you know, your gruff uncle, basically. But he's, he's, he's more trying to look out for people and actually, you know, be a better person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes from viewing M Melissa as a damn brat to, uh... <laughs> trying to find her father to be like, oh yeah, you should be with your father. You, you two should, you should, you should, too, you two should try to work things out. You, uh, you, it's, you know, a couple of days after Christmas and you end up like going into the store, like the storehouse for the <laughs> hotel and setting up a Christmas tree and helping her decorate it. Cause you feel bad that she didn't get a Christmas. And the whole time you're being like, oh God, what am I turning into? <laughs> yeah. There's this great dynamic with you and Rosa where, you're initially not having anything anyone asks of you, and at at some point you start doing more favors for her, like delivering wine bottle labels and uh, cleaning up now and then. And then when it comes to the Christmas tree, she's like, oh, it's such a shame. I think we stored that tree in the storage room. Yeah, it's totally a shame that she doesn't have a tree at all. And she knows that you're going to go over there and set it up for her without asking. Yeah, I, when I was taking notes, I first wrote down that line, like, like, I, like, oh, really? We're being like, oh, what a shame. Here are exact directions to where it's stored. What a shame. And I was like, oh, wait, Rosa was just completely playing me. Okay, never mind. Good job. <laughs> yeah. I definitely started off being a bit annoyed with Rosa because I have memories of her being the character that trips you up the most in the early game because she's the one where it's easiest to save after talking to her and get yourself into an unwinnable state where you end up pushing her too much in the hallway and she walks away and you can just walk around for a bit but as soon as you go downstairs Dunning throws you out hmm. and um if you're if you're silly enough to save in the middle of that like I was then way back when then you kind of have to start the whole game over and uh there's also this bit later, earlier on where 
you have to not outright admit that you're a cop. Even though she's like, oh, you know him from somewhere? And you have to be like, no, not at all. And then she's like, oh, yes, you do. And then that triggers the, the, the whole, okay, everything's fine. But if you say, if you outright admit, yes, I know him, then Rose is going to kick you out because she's going to be like, oh, you're a cop. Okay. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, you can outright admit that you know him and then just be like, yeah, like I knew him back in the day. He was a pizza boy. And she's like, oh. Yeah. My bad. That's what I did. I just lied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give up my buddy. Exactly. Yeah. If you give him up, I imagine that's a game over situation, too. Or at least it wouldn't go well, because it's not good ratting out people who are just trying to make a living. Yeah. I. I the characters in this game... Uh, I mean, we've we've gone over Hyde, but I feel you know we can talk about like like Louis and and Rosa right now. Obviously, is is what we're doing. Um, but like, I like that. I don't think maybe maybe with the exception of Mila, no one in this game is just like straight up a good person. I think they're all like I think ultimately I I like them all. I think they're all okay, but like a lot of them have like ways in which they're shitty. Um, and I feel like that's kind of crucial to the tone of the game. Uh, I would say like Melissa's all right. Like she's just a kid. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's well, I listen, feel like I feel like Hyde sense. is very annoyed for her just being a kid, like in a hotel, kind of bored, <laughs> like beyond reason. Well, I mean, to be fair, Melissa does do something. Like he he calls her a brat often, and sometimes it's justified. Like the time that like you know Iris walked up and was like, "Oh, that's a nice doll," and she threw it at her head, said, "I hate you," and ran away. Like eh. sure, I mean, kids but are kids, I- but yeah. Uh, I know it's the 70s, but I would not go up to a kid that was not, like, someone I was close to already and call them a brat to their face. Like, it's bad form for an adult to do. <laughs> oh, sure. Hyde is, Hyde is not, uh, yeah. H- bad form is, is Hyde's middle name. It's just one word. Bad form. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene with Melissa earlier where she's on the stairwell solving a puzzle and won't let you up until the puzzle's solved. And as soon as you help her with the one piece, she smashes it against the stairs and says, No, I need to solve it myself. <laughs> And, uh, of course, Kyle gets really angry at her. <laughs> My favorite thing about that is because it's, the like, a, the first puzzle in the game. It is just, like, uh, a jigsaw puzzle for babies. Like, you would give that to, like, a two-year-old to solve. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, you do it again later. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Uh, overall, I think the puzzles were, for the most part, pretty easy and didn't get in the way so much. They, it it has a massive difficulty spike near the end where it's like, okay, you're lo- locked in this room with no air. You have to do all these things within a certain amount of time or you're going to straight up die. Mm-hmm. And uh, it involves a lot of things that are very adventure game logic without actually priming you for what's coming up. So it's really it was really easy for me back when I was a kid to get stuck on this part for a few hours because I just had to brute force my way into figuring out, okay, what is, what are the pieces I need for this? I need to, I can't use this. I can't shave off the pencil yet until I look at the, this other thing and realize it's like, even if you already know what you're going to do, you still have to do it in the exact order that it wants you to do them mm-hmm. for no explained reason. And, um, that can 
if you're if you're really stressed for time and things like that, that can be pretty frustrating. Yeah, I feel like there are a few points where the game kind of forces you to do things in certain orders where it's like, I mean, it's just the way they built the game, but it can be kind of frustrating. Like, there's a point where um, uh, Jeff Angel is is real mad that some stuff of his got stolen, which, you know, he, he in fact, planted it and he's trying to get you in trouble, well, get himself in trouble, ultimately. Um, but he's getting Dunning, like, whipped up about, like, oh, there's a thief, and you've got to search everyone's stuff. And so Dunning's going around, and he's like, and not only is Jeff's stuff's missing, like, my tools have been stolen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you are the one who took the tools. You took them for an earlier puzzle. You're not allowed to return them until he says, like, oh, and someone stole my tools, because I tried to earlier. I was like, well, I don't need these anymore. I'll just put them back. And Hyde's like, why would I do that? Um until oh, weird. Uh, until the game until you know Dunning is like oh and my tools are missing you aren't allowed to put them back and it feels like there are multiple instances of like you know just just classic adventure game stuff of like knowing the solution but needing to fail in the right way a couple of times first you know yeah that's really interesting because earlier before he did that prompt i was able to put all those tools away uh, without Kyle interjecting being like don't be ridiculous so I wonder if just is a very specific window where they stop letting you do that. That is weird. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think the game leans a little too hard into, like, really easy, like, mechanical puzzles. Um, that just feel like busy work around the plot. Uh, for a long time, like getting the wire to like pick the lock of your suitcase is not actually that interesting. And it takes way too many steps to do just to open up the thing that you will just use the rest of the game as like a place to store stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, e- and even the logic of like, this is where I get to store stuff is weird in that if they were going to search the rooms, they're going to search, search your suitcase. It doesn't make any sense. I guess what I was assuming is that, like, once you unlocked it once, he was relocking it and unlocking it every time you opened it? Sure, but if they're like, we're going to search all the guests' belongings for $20,000, they're going to open the suitcase or insist that it be opened. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I think, like, you don't, like, no one search. well, no, I don't think anyone ever searches your room. I think the only searching that can happen of you is Dunning will search your person if you at a certain point if you have stuff on you. Oh, for sure. But the implication is that if the thing doesn't get solved, he would have insisted that they call the police, which Dunning wouldn't have done, obviously, given the reveals. But mm-hmm. um, that's like the thing hanging over your head is that the police would be called and everyone's rooms would be searched. Yeah. And nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, mean, I definitely think that the the game knows that like, if, the, if it goes to that, you're, you're screwed. Um, mm-hmm. or, or at least you're going to have a big hassle. Because as, as like... Jeff says, he's like, my plan is terrible. They're going to see through it. Like, yeah, no, they will. Um, but. So, uh, since you're talking about, like, the, the great mechanical puzzles, uh, how do y'all like that bowling? <laughs> I forgot that it was, rec- that you had to win it in order to progress. Or at least get to the point where a win is guaranteed. And. It took a lot of time to get used to the physics in that. The controls it's were really bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I still don't know. Like, I I managed to win it. I still don't know how you're supposed to control it because about seventy percent of the time I would throw the ball 
and it would be going in a straight line, and then, like, it would just immediately, like, take a, like, a 45-degree turn and zoom off to the side, and I had no idea why. Yeah. I think the way that you're supposed to do it is you're supposed to move back and forth a bit with the stylus and then fling it completely straight, but, uh, that, that more or less was the way that I ended up getting it. Because most of the time when I just tried to fling it, it would shoot off to the left or right. Yeah, I did. A, I did one back and forth. I, are you supposed to follow through? I, I, I don't know what they. I don't know what they wanted. Yeah, it, I couldn't tell whether there was a follow through thing or not. All I knew is I just kept poking at it until it let me pass. <laughs> I I just I don't know why you had to win. That was not. There was no point to that. It's just like because cause all that happens is that. During the game, Louis smashes a pot, and that super could have happened either way. I don't know why they did that. Yeah. I, I guess Hyde just has to be really cool and a bowling champion. <laughs> I feel like anytime the game makes you do something, like, really physically mechanical, the controls end up, like, really tripping it up. Like, there's not a very clear one-to-one on anything. Like, everything feels like you have to, like, turn every knob, like, six times when you really just should turn it once. Mm-hmm. Uh it doesn't, it, it just feels like everything is like padded out when it comes to, when it cuts to those like mechanical interaction sequences. Yeah. yeah. And when you're getting the power back into room 217, they want you to flip two switches at once. Obviously, the DS can't register more than one touch at a time. So the solution there is supposed to be, oh, you fling, you tap it in the middle. But how are people supposed to intuitively know that? So if you do both at the same time, it does read as a tap in the middle because that's how the screen works. It like averages out the positions and reads the touch uh, in the middle of those two. So it do- you can hit it in the middle or you can do both at the same time, but it is tricky to do. It's super fiddly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. And the other one, like, uh, there's the the puzzle where you have to uh, get the um, engraving on the pen. Mm-hmm. And you have to like either I think you can do either flour or chalk. You get powdered powdered chalk or flour and sort of like rub it into the pen's engraving and then wipe it off. Um, and you, there's also an option to blow it off and it just doesn't work. Um, and it's, it's it's like Hyde's just like hmm. And so there are two problems with this. One is Hyde's clue when you fail this is like, well, if at first you don't succeed, like, no, that's not actually what you should be saying is <laughs> I was close, but I did something wrong. Not like just keep trying because you'll never get it. Um, and also, like, I guess they're, he's, they're trying to imply that, like, blowing is too forceful and you're blowing everything away and you can't read the message. Um, that's partially because they don't rec- recognize any granularity of blowing, which I guess I should have seen coming with a, with a DS mic. Like, come on, let's not be too sophisticated. But also, you can totally read what it says when you blow it. It's extremely <laughs> visible. So, it's just annoying. Yeah. It's basically just reading a name. So, if if it's going to... If that solution isn't going to work, I kind of think that it's simultaneously cute and frustrating that it's even there in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Uh, and part of that is like in general, we talked a bit before we started this. This game's really long. Yeah, yeah. This game just just kind of goes. I um, I felt like I played through like maybe half of it when I started yesterday. I had played through about twenty five percent. I played a ton of that game yesterday. Um, and it was <laughs> mostly a good time. It was kind of a bummer that I theoretically had other things to do that I just didn't do. Um, 
But yeah, I feel like you could take out some of this stuff, some of like, I mean, even, even simple things like let people take items they don't need yet. Like, there, you have a pencil in your, in your suitcase, and it's just like, let me take the pencil because I'm going to need it for a later, later puzzle. Because there, you get to a puzzle where you've got to rewind a cassette tape and you need to go get your pencil. And it's like, if I just had it with me because I picked it up when I was in the room, that would save me a minute and a half. Just a little thing. Yep. Also, you need to rewind that entire cassette. It does not take over for you after it shows that you know how to solve the puzzle. No, and also <laughs> the controls on that are pretty bad because, like, you have to figure out the exact technique to make the pencil spin. Because if you just do what seems like you should do, it'll, like, wind back and forth. Yes. Or, like, it's... it's ah. <laughs> yeah, I, I get why they... I get... It is an interesting decision with the tools and stuff like that to be like, don't just pick up shit just because you see it laying down or you'll get in trouble. But if it's in your suitcase, you should just be able to take it anywhere. I mean, the problem is because it's like an adventure game as much as a visual novel, like adventure games train you to pick up all the shit everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's like it just ends up frustrating the player when you make them not, like say, oh, you can't pick this stuff up. But later you can come back and pick this stuff up and it'll be relevant to you. And also it makes you have to like memorize where stuff is in a way that's just like, 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 hmm, I wonder like, oh, no, I need to get this label off. I wonder where I've seen some adhesive remover. Like, come on. Yep. Yeah. I mean, also, if the if the kitchen regularly removes labels to give to the guests they would have some right there <laughs> that's that's also very true well you know what maybe you know business has been slow maybe they ran out and just didn't reorder it well luckily you're there to sell them some it was probably it was probably <laughs> louis job to reorder it that's true uh and it's weird because like as long as the game feels and is uh like the stuff that is the obvious like downtime stuff that you would cut for time is probably my favorite stuff. Like the chapter where you just hang out in the bar with Louie and uh everyone else who comes to drink is some of my favorite stuff in the game. Yeah, that's that's all really that's all really great. Um I I really like I also like the ways in which you don't hang out with people there. It's it's really <laughs> assertive of, of a hide as a character. And his and like like Summer shows up and is like, Oh, I was hoping to run into you and Hyde is just sort of outlined like, Wow, this sucks, I'm leaving <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at some point after you figured out Summer's whole thing, you kinda just treat him in a very disposable way that's pretty entertaining. Like at, at some point it's like, oh, he has that pen that's supposed to be that this old woman gave her son that's missing. So you just go up to his room and be like, "You know that pen I gave you earlier? Give it here. Not telling you why. See ya." <laughs> and uh it there's this there's a nice sort of just okay, you're kind of a scumbag, so I'm just going to use you for a bit. <laughs> Even if you're kind of just looking at him going like, "This doesn't seem like the most productive way to get things done, but it's also very entertaining to see you treat him this way." And I feel like when I first played the game, I was like, man, Hyde, why are you being so mean to this guy? He's just, he's just like, he's kind of sap, but he's just a decent guy. And on this playthrough, I'm like, yeah, fuck plagiarists. <laughs> Treat this guy <laughs> like shit. He deserves it. Yeah, not only is he a plagiarist, he also talks in a way that I, I referred to earlier on Twitter as the logical debater on YouTube, because... He get he gets very upset when people won't listen to his theories, and he says things like, I tip my hat to you, sir. And it's like, 
oh, this dude would be wearing a fedora if this game came out, like, a few years later. Uh, yep. I said he reminds me of my British literature teacher. He just is this guy. Just an insufferable bore about everything. Yeah. I did enjoy his theories about Hyde, though. Those were fun. (laughs) Yeah, and also how he basically is like, oh, I'm gonna write a book about you when I leave here. And it's like, oh, great. (laughs) Something to look forward to. This guy's gonna be in my life for the rest of my life. (laughs) Given how rude Hyde is to him, it's amazing that he still hangs around and talks to you at all. I I think, I, I mean, I think he's just kind of like, I, I don't know. I mean, he's a person who writes mysteries, and it's like Hyde. Like, even if Hyde tries not to admit it to people, he puts off the air of someone who used to be a detective. Yes, I mean, he is. He talks like a cop. He looks like a cop. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think for Summer, it's just like, oh yeah, this is exactly the sort of person who would star of one of my books. And there is also that part of like, you know, he's like, no, I've been inspired. I'm going to make you the star of my next book. And I don't. You know, I don't recall Hyde thinking it, but he probably should have thought, wait, aren't all your books terrible? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the way that Kyle talks in general feels, even though this game takes place in the late 70s, he talks like he's from a few decades earlier than that. Like, there's a few times when people will be like, I've never heard that turn of phrase. What are you from, a dime store novel? And, uh... Even the way that he describes alcohol is very much in that very put-upon noir detective style. In a way that everyone kind of gets a kick out of. And he doesn't seem to realize he's doing so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what other, like, I don't know, what other characters do y'all want to say stuff about? I, I, Louis great. Louis great. I would have a game just about Louis trying to get out of doing chores around the hotel. Hell yeah, that would be that be like that wouldn't be like a stealth game though, right? No, it would just be a visual novel of him trying to like <laughs> scam customers and run the bar. Man, what I... if Valhalla was about Louis and not about the bullshit Valhalla's about? Hey, that sounds all right. <laughs> More bartending games, please. You know, yeah, I'm just serving a bunch of matchstick puzzles to your customers. God. <laughs> <laughs> did you do any of those? Absolutely. Of course I did. I love matchstick puzzles. I've played every <laughs> Professor Layton game. <laughs> I didn't do any of them because I've played every Professor Layton game. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, matchstick puzzles. <laughs> uh, I did them the first time I played, but this time I, I don't know. I skipped a lot of the optional content this time around, uh, partially just because of time, but also just because it was like, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't find as much. I I didn't get as much out of them this time. Like I don't know. I didn't need to do the the like stickers to combine to get the the doll out of the vending machine one. Or... So uh, my my problem is I couldn't tell what was actual optional content or not. So I just ended up doing all of it. Mm, I see. That's fair. Yeah. Like, I... I don't like those stickers. It seemed like it was such a big deal, and then it just gives you that doll that you can give to Melissa, which I did, sure. But like, I don't understand like why that matters past like a character beat necessarily. Yeah, there's this thing. If you do everything, you get a secret ending where, um, after late years later, an adult Jenny shows up at the hotel. But uh, other than that, there's no real purpose to it. Uh, okay. I mean, I got that ending, so I guess I just did everything. <laughs> I think you get that ending no matter what. Huh. I did not see that one on mine. 
It was post credits. Yeah, post credits. It just went to game over and uh, wouldn't go anywhere else until I turned off turned it off. Oh yeah, no, because on mine it like tr- you triggers a save and then you get like one more cutscene on like New Year's Eve or whatever. Oh hmm. huh, okay. Must have missed something kind of important then. <laughs> yeah, the, other than those characters, I kind of enjoyed Rachel's presence. Like every once in a while, you have to call into Red Crown, and um, Rachel's the secretary there. And um, I think Six mentioned a bit of this before the podcast too, but um, the way that she's just there as an outside observer that you talk to casually and. Every once in a while, I mean, after conversations, every once in a while, you'll just have a few seconds of her just sitting there looking at the phone, kind of, kind of reinforcing that she's there way later than she should be and just on her, doing her own thing is kind of nice. There's something about the way she looks at the phone every time she hangs up on you that made me think that it was always going to cut to her, like, revealing that she knows more than she does. And it never does that. But every single time I thought that there was going to be another beat there. I actually end up being a little disappointed by Rachel because I thought I was seeing something that ended up not being there. Um, earlier on, like, especially with that animation, it's like, you know, like when she's talking to you, she's like, she's like smiling and like kind of being like sort of teasy, flirty. And she hangs up the phone and her expression just completely resets to this just like serious business face. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, man, so she's just like she I mean, she answers the phone for a living. She's just kind of like casually flirty with everyone. And she actually doesn't like she's like fine with Hyde, but she actually doesn't care that much about him. And I thought that was great. And then it was, as the game went on, it's like, oh, actually, no, she genuinely does. Oh, darn it. <laughs> I was kind of hoping yeah. she was just, you know, business flirty. Yeah, uh, same, because it definitely reads that way early on. Mm-hmm. Uh the whole thing kind of reads kind of shady, like they just have this organization where they send out ex-cops on weird, like, cleanup <laughs> trips. Like, Kyle acts like he's the only one, but I bet he's not the only one. Yeah, and part of the whole lost and found thing that this, that Ed runs is, in order to get that red box, you have to break into Dunning's office and go through his drawers. <laughs> and uh you get, you get this sense that this isn't... Kyle's first time doing that, so on some level, are you kind of a thief? <laughs> uh, I mean, he's a cop, so that means he knows how to do illegal shit because <laughs> he's a cop. Yep. Yeah, I. It almost makes me feel like this is like like I mean, Ed was like a, a good friend of Kyle's dad, um, and also also a former cop himself. And it's like, is Red Crown like? A, like a gradual like like rehabilitation company for cops who can't let go of the job <laughs> is it like oh he not just like not just he hires cop hires ex cops to do this he hires ex cops because if they had normal jobs they would go crazy that's interesting i didn't really consider that i definitely saw it as more like potentially sinister than that implies oh i mean i i think that's sinister okay fair enough i think being like oh like you can't just go back into society why don't you do cop things but not actually be a cop so what you're doing is just well some of it was probably illegal while you were a cop but now it's like unquestionably just illegal (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's weird how much ed helps you for no other reason than just he knows your dad and has some connections in the force it's especially weird because i 
But, like, the first five minutes of the sequel, which takes place, like, I think within a year of, of Hotel Dusk, is Ed just firing Kyle. Huh, that's interesting. It's, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it feels like a weird, like, um, it's, it's, it feels like a weird turn where it's just like all of a sudden he's just done with Kyle's shit when he seemed really into Kyle's shit in this game. He was kind of into Kyle's shit in this game, but he was also like, okay, you have one night to put all these pieces together, which I don't think you're going to do because realistically asking all these other people to solve something that happened years ago is a shot in the dark and then some. And if it isn't resolved by morning, you have to hang it all up. You have to forget, you have to forget Bradley and just move on with your life. Yeah, but I think that's as much like, that's for Kyle's sake, right? He's like, listen, it's been three years of you searching for this guy. And I mean, he even says like almost word for word, I'm not going to let you destroy yourself over this obsession. Uh, I mean, I think that he edits is basically to be whatever the plot needs him to be, right? Like, yeah. sometimes he's, like, a mentor figure. Sometimes he's just the, like, grumpy boss. Sometimes he's, like, the guy who gets all has all the connections off screen to give you just enough plot to keep you going when everything stalls out in the hotel. Uh, so I could definitely see why they're like, oh, for the sequel, which is going to be more intense, we need to get him away from his uh, support system. Uh, do they do anything with those characters, or is it, like, a setup for something in the plot? Um, I, as I recall, he's just kind of not in the sequel much. He's just kind of, like, the sequel is actually, I would say, less intense. Okay. Um, do you know the premise of the sequel? No, not at all. Uh, yeah. the premise of the sequel is that, so he's been, he's been fired, and so he goes home to his apartment, and his apartment's about to be demolished. And he, he's, so he's just like, uh, I need to find a new apartment. And he's just sort of going around talking to other, like his, his, like, neighbors who he never met because he was never home because he's a fucking, you know, salesman. Um, and working out their problems and solving little mysteries around the place and trying to figure out what the hell is going on and then finding Wait, a new apartment. It's, it's not about Bradley? No. Bradley does not feature. What? Why? <laughs> cause, cause he's satisfied with the answers he got on Bradley. That's explicitly not how the game ends. <laughs> no, he's he's totally satisfied. Weird. I guess during his whole cross-country trip at the end, he just worked it out of his system, because Bradley does mention at the end, stop looking for me, I'm fine, but I, I can no longer be in your life anymore. But, uh, but my implication of that was that Kyle was an idiot who was going to continue to look. Yeah, same. Weird. Well, don't worry. He actually, he actually did totally get over it. Great. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe it's just a bad game. I, I don't know. I haven't played it. <laughs> I liked it when I played it, but it's been a while. Okay. So I own it, so I should definitely play it at some point. Same. Should we get into the plot at all? Because we kind of been talking around all the stuff with I Niall and yes. <laughs> Sounds like you want to lead the charge on that one, Em. I do not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do not. I absolutely do not. I look, I looked I watched I played through this ending yesterday and I don't think I could tell you a single plot beat other than everyone is someone else. Yeah, so the general gist is that um essentially this Dunning Smith, the person who owns Hotel Dusk, um 
was when he was younger into lots of painting and um he happened to run he happened to run into an old friend of his uh when they both lost their wives to this plane crash and they decided hey no one's picking up your paintings even though you're a great painter um and no one really seems to pay attention to me because i'm in i'm i basically feel like i'm good at seeing talent but no one's hiring me for anything why don't we create this character called Osterzone, this painter who will we'll create this sort of thing where lots of artists are recognized after their time. So I'll be like, okay, I'll write this book about how I found these paintings that were really great. You paint these paintings under the name Osterzone and we'll, we'll make big money. And they do. And it goes along that, it goes along like that for a while with, Dunning painting as Osterzone, and I'm blanking on the name of the guy who runs that um, art gallery. It, it's uh, not Robert that. Evans, but oh, Robert Evans, yeah. And um, at some point, Dunning gets annoyed painting under this person that under this fictitious person, not getting any credit himself. So he starts to slow down painting. Um, Robert Evans ends up being like, okay. Let's meet at this hotel for drinks and stuff like that. And both of them bring their daughters. Um, Dunning brings Jenny and uh, Robert brings Mila. And um, over drinks, the two of them are like, okay, so I kind of want you to keep painting as Oster's own for a bit because uh, it turns out that this mob organization called Niall kind of caught up to us and knows what we're up to. So... If you could just keep painting for a little bit, that'd be great. We we even created this secret. We even created this uh, secret passage underneath the hotel where you can do your work without interruptions. And Dunning's obviously like, "Nah, I'm good." And at that point, um, the mob breaks in, snatches Jenny, Mila gets and ends up getting caught in the crossfire so she gets thrown against a wall and knocked into a coma and they're basically like okay you have to stay here now you have to take this hotel and keep working on these paintings and at some point once we're satisfied Jenny will be returned to you and he goes along with that for a while until deciding no I'm completely done I'm not going to do this anymore at that point uh Robert Evans kind of disappears and um, Brian ends up getting, uh, Bradley ends up getting caught up in it too because it sounds like he was, well, Bradley initially also betrayed Niall or he betrayed the cops for Niall and that's why he got shot because they had his daughter Mila too and ended up killing her. So Bradley as his way of revenge ends up going, working for a what seems like a rival mob and um at some point he visits uh robert evans daughter mila in the hospital and has some sort of con feels like he has some sort of connection to her because mila was also the name of his daughter so he gives her i don't even i don't know if i'm rambling at this point <laughs> he, he gives her the bracelet that he used to have that had his daughter's name. And 
he ends up going to Dunning being like, I know that this is going on as a token of, as a token of almost saying sorry, I guess, for everything that's happened. He ends up giving Dunning a rare painting that was stolen from the gallery years ago, Angel Opening a Door. Dunning's so disgusted by it that he paints it over with white paint and just stores it in the cellar. And it's basically where you come in, you start nosing around. Dunning gets upset and worried, so he... At some point, he clobbers you in the back of the head while you're searching for the secret entrance... Then he locks you in a room where you almost suffocate to death. Which you don't seem to be sufficiently angry about by the time you confront him again. But I think you're just really tired because it's 2am at this point. And Mila also ended up showing up at this hotel as well. Because she had the pamphlet and everything like that. Looking for her lost dad. Which Bradley knows, okay, this this guy's not coming back because it's implied that Bradley shot Robert Evans. Like, straight up killed him. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mila's completely mute for three quarters of the game. Once she starts remembering, she starts talking. Dunning sees that and quote-unquote kidnaps her, but it's mostly him taking her to the lower room to be like, okay, where's where's my daughter? Where's Jenny? And, um... I don't know the exact way, right way to talk about how this resolved. It's more like him sharing what's really going on with you, Mila, and Louis. And since Louis also had a partner that was shot by Niall... I think there's a sense of closure between the three of you, in a way. And then you kind of just go up back to, up to your hotel, learn that uh, the items that you were supposed to retrieve this whole time, the red box and everything like that, was secretly something that Bradley set you up to do. And you read his note basically saying, Yeah, I'm fine. Don't ever come looking for me, because you're not going to like what you see. And then you basically ride off with Mila as she joins you on your cross-country trip. I guess that's another thing I should ask about the sequel. Does Mila show up at all? Oh, yeah. A lot. Oh, cool. So she's basically hanging with you now, or...? Uh, she is in college. Oh, interesting. And she comes to visit you. Um, so with the plot of this game, I feel like I am into the, the Nile stuff. I'm into the, like... Everyone has a reason for being at Hotel Dusk, and they all end up, like, coming together. The part that really doesn't work for me is I really feel like the, like, Bradley has a sister named Mila, and then Robert Evans' daughter's named Mila, and there's the Mila-Mila connection, and it just doesn't, it, it just feels way too convenient. Yeah, there's a few weird convenient connections like that, like Robert and uh, Dunning meeting, because both of their wives were on the plane that crashed and killed both of them, and, uh... I guess every single person here either being related to Niall or related to someone else that's missing is kind of weird. But I also kind of absorb that because I'm used to reading Agatha Christie novels and things like that. So, Oh, bad books. <laughs> yeah, at some point you kind of, 
at some point you just kind of go along with the mystery and accept that all these people are here on way too convenient pretenses that would never exist in real life. The killer was everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Murder on the Orient Express is quite a thing, huh? Uh-huh. How, what did, how did you feel about all of this, Em? So, I... I don't necessarily dislike any one aspect to the reveal. It's that there's like six of them that all happen at the same time. Like mm. it just feels incredibly convoluted uh, in a story that is like way more about just hanging out with these characters than it is like Kyle actually piecing together this years long conspiracy. Uh, it doesn't work in that instance. Like it feels like it's the third in a like trilogy of mystery novels and not just a single standalone story. Hmm. Uh, and it just makes the end feel like it's dragging through like the histories of characters that like, I already liked these characters and was just fine with them being who they were. And now everyone is related to each other and betrayed each other years ago. And uh, all I want to do is like hang out in the hotel still. And instead I have to listen to them talk about this forever. I it just, I don't know. I, it, it, it focuses too much on the endless reveals being like worth it on their own. And that's not really why I like mystery style, like noir stories like this. Hmm. Like it's all about the atmosphere of the like pursuit of the answers, not the answers themselves. And I feel like the game doesn't understand that. Yeah. The part where the part where Kevin has two to three different connections at once to everything. Cause not only was his wife, the person that, went missing and the wife was Iris's sister and uh he also was like oh now I remember where um, Mila was from I was at the hospital and kept working there and somehow I know her 10-year history there and that was kind of weird I, I I think the convenience is you know a little whatever but like I don't know if I was if you're working at a hospital and there's a girl who's been there in a coma for 10 years that's probably a thing the staff talks about that's yeah, a thing that... that gets around yeah I suppose so you're right on that yeah um I will say am I I'm, I'm thinking more and more that you should play uh last window because most of the side characters in last window are just they're people with their own problems that don't tie into the big mystery. It's just sort of like, "Oh, hey, what's your deal?" and you sort of hang out with them and work it out. That's good because that's the stuff I really like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I feel like Jeff's is the most satisfying story in that angle cuz there's both a, an a, a, there's both an element of danger cuz you have to quickly move the stolen shit that he put on you back on him and also be like, you should really not talk to the cops about your dad because that's just going to get everyone killed. And your initial suggestion to him is being like, just go home to your father, give everything back, never talk about this again. But instead he takes it up a step further and it's like, I'm going to the cops, but I'm going to just turn myself in as the thief. I'm going to take full responsibility for this. And it was kind of fun to watch him grow over that night from this brat who just brought 20 grand in a hotel just to see the fireworks fly to, I'm going to take responsibility for this, even though it might be an extra measure to put this on my record. I'm just going to, I'm going to do the right thing in this case. I feel pretty mixed on Jeff, I guess. Um... Part of my problem with him is that the confrontation with him is annoying because 
you just like you mechanically have to lay out the complete case before he'll admit anything. You can't come into his room and be like, okay, you put money in my toilet, you hid a gun in the laundry hamper, this is your real name, I have your ID, you have the key to my room. And he'll just be like, well, you don't have any proof. It's like, dude, I just, okay, <laughs> let me go get some more stuff, I guess. Um, the game allows him to play so aggressively dumb in a way that I don't feel like makes a lot of sense. Um, and then also, I just like, yeah, he's there because he's a dumb rich kid who's, who's pouting about his dad and he wanted to make a point by getting in trouble. Um, and I feel like I buy that Kyle convinces him he's being a moron. That seems fair. But I don't feel like he deserves a heroic turn after one scene of Kyle calling him an idiot. You kind of can see where his brain is coming from, though, because he, his dad is a lawyer who essentially represents denial on other criminals, and he's, he's incredibly disgusted by that. So it's a little bit more than just a temper tantrum that caused this. He, he has the, he almost has the right idea in that this should stop. We need, my dad needs to long, no longer represent these criminals, but he just goes about it in a very immature, selfish way without realizing wh- exactly what he's doing. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of get the perspective of my dad's helping all these criminals. I need to blow this thing wide open and take down the criminals and my dad at the same time. Yeah, it just feels like it's a very, it's a, I mean, obviously it's a very childish attitude. That's the, that's the game's point. But I feel like, I don't know, I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel satisfied by his resolution, I guess. That's fair, yeah. Alright, is there any, anyone else you, we need to hit on? No, I just like, the level of reveal and tied into the plot, like, I feel like Louis hits that the best. Mm-hmm. Like, Everything is very directly tied into how he knew Kyle back in the day. Uh, it resolves itself before the actual like mystery resolves itself. Like you get the answers that he needs, and then he's just kind of your buddy hanging around. Uh, I like that stuff a lot. Standout character here, in my opinion. Yeah, there, there's some fun things that you end up doing with him once he's on your side. Like uh, when you have to get into Jeff's apartment to search his shit, you're like, okay, Louie, can you make a distraction? And Louie's like, sure. And he goes into a one of the next door rooms and starts smashing things and screaming, help, help! <laughs> in a very, in a way that seems very questionable, considering that he's an employee of this place. And, uh, yeah. But it, it, it gets the job done. And there's the sense of Louis being this person that's like, he won't always have the best method of doing things, and he's kind of an idiot at times, but he's very much a likable, good-hearted person. He There's a point where he's like, oh, remember that story you told me a while ago? That the one that, when you busted me the third time, that's the thing that caused me to come clean. And he goes into this whole story about how your dad was a... You basically held him up in an interrogation room and told him about how your dad was a safe cracker who had one last job before he went was planning on going legit and that killed him. And um there's there's this sense that Louis both assumes that wait, did that actually happen cuz there's a there's a way there's an option to be like there's an option to tell him it didn't happen or it did happen and right before that Kyle's like 
Oh, he thought it was a fake story, huh? But, uh... It, it never really clears up whether that is really what happened to your dad. Uh, based on Last Window, that is what happened to your dad. Oh, okay. Interesting. But yeah, there's, there's this nice idea of Louis being like, even though he thinks the story is fake, he took it to heart and more or less changed his life in a way that doesn't feel very... It doesn't feel very preachy or moralistic. It just seems like someone who reconsidered his place in life and went, you know what? Bartending seems way cooler than this, and went and did that instead. Yeah, he's he's definitely the most the most fun character to hang out with, even when he makes you ball. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really have anything to say about Iris or Helen or. The only thing I have to say about Helen is Helen is so like aggressively pleasant in a way I really appreciated. Where like like Helen Helen will be like, "Hey, do you have a second? And we'll be like. I guess I have a second to spare for you. And she's like, oh, thank you. It's like, uh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> she's she's just a surprisingly positive presence in the game. Also, she used to be a magician, and that's dope. She's a magician with an eye patch. I feel like yeah. Kyle should have given her the room, and I think it's weird that he didn't offer, or that wasn't allowed to be an offer. Yeah. I, I No, you, you actually can. What? Really? You can offer to give her the room, and she's like, no, no, if you got the room, you must have it for a reason. Oh, sure, but, like, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. The part part where it's a wish-granting room isn't actually that important to the plot, other than, like, someone says it at the end to remind you that this is the title of the game. But your wish came true. You found out what happened to Bradley, and also, not only that, you you were so much the right man for the job, you made everyone else's wish come true, too. Sure, but isn't the room she in, like, Angel or something? So you could just be like, oh, Kyle was the angel to this entire hotel. Maybe things do come true after all. Maybe you're, now you're just being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is kind know. of fun to see his, it, it is kind of fun as a way to track his personality change, though, because at the beginning, Dunning's telling him about the wish room, and he's like, really, old man, you're gonna, you're gonna lay this on me? This is really silly. I, I don't like this at all. And then at the end, he's like, you know, Maybe maybe you should, maybe this is a cool thing for you to do, and maybe it did do something for me. It kind of plays along into the idea, even if he still doesn't believe it. That That's the sense I get from this game. It's a, it's a timeline of Kyle going from just giving no shits about anyone's fantasies or wishes or anything like that to being like, okay, I, it's... It's a much more pleasant way to go about things in life if I'm just if I just play along with people sometimes. Or maybe he's just in a pl- more pleasant mood from all the alcohol he drank earlier in the day because he had <laughs> two double bourbons and a double scotch and boy that's a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's amazing that he didn't have a bigger hangover after Dunning whacked him over the head with a brick, honestly. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, maybe, maybe like one of those off-screen things. Maybe he's secretly every time he's taking a moment to think, he's hydrating like crazy. <laughs> Bradley, I... <laughs> it... you also mentioned earlier that it's kind of cute where whenever anyone reacts to your name, you can be like, "Oh, great name, huh?" And yeah. oh. there, there is this one scene later when someone reacts negatively to someone else's name, and. You... It reverses it to be like, 
what's wrong with their name? It seems like a good name. <laughs> yeah, you you repeatedly have options where people are acting super suspiciously in regards to your name. Where like, oh, you're like, oh, my name's Kyle Hyde, and they're like, Kyle Hyde. Where have I heard that Kyle Hyde? And you're like, yeah, it's a good name, isn't it? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, that's what I was talking about. Uh, so yeah, you can do that three times. Every time it's ridiculously, like, it's just hilarious that Kyle just completely aggressively misses the hint. And then yeah, with, with, with Mila, you can have the moment with, uh, um, fuck with Kevin, where Kevin's like, wait, Mila Evans, of course, Mila Evans, and like, well, you, you don't like her name? <laughs> uh, yeah, I really, I really like that. I, I, now I need to play Last Window and see if you can keep asking people if you, they like your name. Yeah. Uh, overall, it might be fun to go to Last Window because I have, it's, I haven't played it yet, even though I'm, got it from eBay a few months ago, and it sounds like, uh, M hasn't played it either, so. It could be interesting to see how this stuff ends up playing out, since we all have history with 215. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are there any other thoughts y'all have on this game? I think that's all I've got. Yeah, that's all I've got, too. Okay, uh, why don't we go to questions, then? Okay, uh, if you want to send us questions, you can send them to podcast at normalmapping.com. Uh, we have two questions here, I suppose. Uh, the first one comes from Lyle. It is, uh, mostly just, um, comments on the game. Uh, they mentioned that, uh, it's very good at capturing like a night owl feeling of just hanging out in a place over a one night, which, uh, I also really enjoy. Uh, there's like, just like the nine o'clock hour, nothing's really going on. Just kind of chill. Um, mentions that, uh, they found Kyle very attractive, which, uh, I agree. He's a cutie. I don't like his facial hair very much. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, he, he's slubby. You know, he'd clean up well though. That's true. (laughs) That's true. He'd do okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we got a email from Jenny that, uh, starts with the question, is Kyle Hyde gay? Uh, you know, I could see that. Yeah, I could see a closer connection to Bradley or something like that. But uh... part of that is like I'm really mad that he the Bradley thing is dropped for the sequel. Like, what a bad choice. Yeah, yeah. That's that's weird. That's a weird decision to make. Yeah. Uh, Jenny also mentions that. Uh, it's interesting to have a game that just takes place in a single building that you get to learn uh, back in front. Uh, she compares it to Resident Evil 7, but like there's a lot of games that do this really well uh, that aren't just horror games, but that's also a really good uh, example of one. Mm-hmm. I really like games in which you... It's a very constrained space that you just learn really well. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely yeah. think it's a, a plus in the game. Yeah, I know some people are really into massive, massive open worlds lately, but... Um... I usually prefer it when you just get to know a constrained space incredibly well. Yep. The one, as far as the, is Kyle gay, the only bit of evidence I'll offer one way or another, well, I guess there are two bits of evidence. One, he does kind of flirt with Rachel a bit. Yes. Um, but as far as, uh, Iris, who, uh, it seems like everyone in the story thinks Iris is pretty cute. Except for Kyle, who is never anything but just annoyed by her. Um, <laughs> yep. So, yeah, you know. 
Take and it's shoot. not just like there's like the yes, yeah, so there's like Bradley is like this guy that he's chasing that he has all these intense feelings for, her, but also just as like this very quiet like reserved character that lives out of a suitcase in the 70s this could definitely be coded as like a closet character going about his business in life yeah totally all right well uh what are we playing next month uh next month we i have the wikipedia up somewhere uh this would help if i had it (laughs) Because I had the information, but now I can't find it. Uh, do you want me to, to read it out? Uh, well, I know what we're playing, but I just wanted the like, I just wanted the like information release date. So, next month we are playing Hakuoki Kyoto Wins, which is uh, part of the Hakuoki series of visual novels. They're samurai dating games. Um, this one came out in 2015. It's on Vita and Steam, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, I'll be playing it on Vita. Uh, Six, you said you're playing on Steam, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, which uh, I played the 3DS one a long time ago when it first came out. Uh, this game is supposedly like a like expanded remake. I mean, I think all the games are kind of the same thing, but um, it was good. I liked it a lot. So <sighs> a bigger version of this sounds good. I just... Okay, so... Um, we talked about it off, off air, but so Hakuoki was originally uh, one game... And uh, this is a remake of the first game that has been split into two games. Um, and this mm-hmm. is part of the Steam page description of Hakuoki Kyoto Wins. Over 80 hours of romance with over oh, no. 30 different endings. Immerse yourself in... <laughs> like, oh my god, this is going to be a lot, isn't this it? Is, this is definitely going to be one of those where we each pick a route and that's just the one we play, probably. I'll probably end up playing multiple because I've been really jonesing for an Otome game. Um, okay, but yeah, I I I don't think we're gonna see all of them. Yes, uh, even when I played this game back in the day, I think I did like two routes, and this was in the smaller version, and it was enough. I was fulfilled. I'd seen two endings; it was fine. Yeah, I hope that this isn't going to be one of those true ending things because if if it ends up being one of those things where you have to play multiple or all the routes to get the right ending. That could... It is. It is. It is definitely not that style of game. It is pick which boy you want to be with and enjoy that. Oh, thank God. Okay. Yes. That sounds manageable then. Yeah, we will probably have very different like uh, relationships with like the plot having chosen different paths, but I don't think it's like I don't think it's one of those where there's like the true end at the end of it. It's not that kind of game. I don't think. Yeah. Well, well, likely you need to coordinate who's playing. Uh, who chooses what, so we don't all have the same one person to talk about, but uh, yeah, we'll figure that out. We'll do an auction. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess that's it. Um, this is this might have been longer than some of the other ones, but I feel like it was worth it because Hotel Dusk is a great game, and if you happen to have a DS or 3DS lying around, like, copies are usually around between. 20 to 40 bucks online, so pretty reasonable. Uh, I had to rebuy it from eBay because I've ended up lending it to so many people and they never end up giving it back, but uh, I've never been too disgruntled about getting another copy. And uh, yeah, I, we'll see you next we'll see you next month for Hakuoke. 
You want to do plugs? Oh yeah, plugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Go ahead and uh, where can people find your stuff, Em? Uh, you can find me on the Abnormal Mapping Network, where that hosts this podcast. So you can go to abnormalmapping dot com. We have a game club that's kind of like this, but about non visual novels. Uh, it's called the Abnormal Mapping Podcast. You can find that at thebestgame.club. We recently did Ape Escape Two, which is fantastic, and we are. Uh, in the process of doing uh, Chronicles of Riddick uh, Assault on Dark Athena, which is less fantastic, let's say. <laughs> um, and you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. Uh, if you want to find uh, my work upon this this great web of ours, or this bad web of ours, either one, really, um, I'm on Twitter. I'm sixdetmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. Um, and then I've got some podcasts at uh, scanlinemedia.com and patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. Your support would be greatly appreciated. Uh, we did we do Oops All Anime as well. That's a good show. Uh, M has been on it. It's fun. We talk yeah. about anime. <laughs> yeah. Anime is good. Some, yeah. Sometimes. Listen. We, I only we watch did, good anime. We did cover fucking Darling in the Franks. You listened to that episode, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I sure did. We had someone come on our podcast and subject us to the plot summary of Darling and the Franks. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, most of my stuff is pretty much the same as Sixes, located on Scanline Media and all that. And um, you can find me at JBU3 on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I'm currently in the process of looking for a. I don't need to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. Hire Jen. Give Jen yeah. a job. Give me a job. That'd be great. <laughs> Jen's a good writer and a way better editor than me. Give Jen a job. Clap, clap, clap. I'm not actually clapping because I don't think that would sound very good on my microphone. But No. Never does. <laughs> no. Tragedy. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Peace. Bye. <laughs>